0: Hello and welcome to the Farm One podcast, where we talk about local food, nutrition, sustainable living, and all kinds of things to help you be more thoughtful about your food. My name is Rob Lang, and I'm the CEO and founder of Farm One. And I'm sitting here in our vertical farm here in Tribeca. Don't forget to check out our new products. We've got smoothies, we've got nut milks, and we've got beautiful mushrooms grown locally in New York City by Small Hold. You can subscribe to those things now. But more importantly, I'm sitting here today with Tiffany Henkel. She's the Executive Director of Hell's Kitchen Farm Project. Uh, It's a volunteer run farm space that's actually on a rooftop in Hell's Kitchen. uh, And they use kiddie pools, kiddie swimming pools in a brand new way. Uh, So I can't wait to find out more about that. Uh, Welcome, Tiffany, it's great to have you here.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here, actually. I'm thrilled this is a different kind of farm space than mine. so.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different. <laughs> so, uh, so tell us, what is the Hell's Kitchen Farm Project?
1: Well, uh, we are a rooftop farm in the middle of Manhattan. We've been around for a little over 10 years now. Um, and what's unique about our farm is that we farm in kiddie pools primarily. We have 52 kiddie pools and some pots and some railing planters that we grow vegetables, um, edible flowers, a little bit of fruit. And everything that we farm is uh, goes directly back into the community through, primarily through our food pantry program. But we also uh, provide meals for some of our programs that support homeless veterans and survivors of domestic violence. So. I think what's unique about our farm is a lot of things, but what we love most about our farm is that everything we do goes back into the community.
0: Great, amazing. And, and how did you get involved with the project?
1: Well, I've actually been around, uh, I, I'm, I'm the executive director of Rauschenbusch Metro Ministries, um, which is the, the parent organization of Hell's Kitchen Farm Project. I'm also the pastor of Metro Baptist Church, and I've been in the, those roles for almost 16 years. So I precede the Hell's Kitchen Farm Project, which is only about 10 years old. And, um, and so I was there when it sort of birthed into what it is now. Um, and uh, so uh, about 11 years ago, there were a group of folks that my colleague, Alan Shiraus at the time was in a meeting with other organizations in uh, Chelsea and Hell's Kitchen. And we were having conversations and they were having conversations at the time around uh, food security. And we've had a long time food pantry Um, And we were with these groups talking about the fact that a lot of folks that come to food pantries couldn't get fresh food. There were a lot of grants at that time that allowed us to get shelf-stable food, but not a lot of grants were giving us very much money to buy the fresh food. And at that time, farmers markets weren't taking a SNAP benefit, so people couldn't even do that. And so we were just talking about how do we get fresh food and we said, well, we should just grow it and then give it and that, that dream kind of came. And so one group of folks said, well, we have a grant writer. We could write a grant to do this, but we don't have the space. And then another person said, well, we have the farm expertise, but we don't have the space or the ability to get money. And we said, well, we have the space. And so it was sort of this collaboration of local organizations in Hell's Kitchen came together and birthed the Hell's Kitchen Farm Project.
0: Amazing. And what do you actually grow up there?
1: Well, um, because we grow in kiddie pools and planters, um, and because we're on a a building that's over 100 years old, we grow a lot of things that grow fast and light. (laughs) So um, a lot of greens, a lot of lettuces, chard, kale, mustards, um, pak choy. um, These are our primary, a lot of herbs. Um, that, that we grow over and over. And then in the summer months, we get into some heavier produce. So we do some cucumbers and squashes. We also do beets, uh, carrots, beans. Um, and so that's, that's probably like the bulk. But we ha- we've had to figure out what grows in this weird space that we have up there. And that's what we found grows best and allows us to get the most food to those in our community.
0: Yeah. And so you're sort of alluding to it. Some sometimes going on a rooftop is a bit of an engineering challenge. Tell me a little bit about how you've solved that and, and how you use these swimming pools.
1: Yeah. So um, interestingly, the folks that were a part of this original dream for the farm, we were a hodgepodge group of people. So I'm a pastor and an executive director of a nonprofit. Um, we joined with another nonprofit that w- was doing a lot of food for the LGBTQ community. And then uh, we partnered with a housing corporation that had, strangely enough, on their staff a farmer and a, a, a horticulturist. And she took, brought her expertise. We had a city planner on our team, and then we had an architect who just happens to be my husband as well. But uh, he, uh, he started looking at different models and found this model of somebody who had taken a kiddie pool and made a farm bed out of it. And we started looking into it and thinking about that. And it worked great for us for a couple of reasons. One because we couldn't put a lot of weight on this old building, um, and so the the kiddie pools are lightweight, and we double we doubled them so that there was a little bit of space between each bed that would create a reservoir of water underneath. And then um, we drilled holes in strategic places for this to happen and, um, and it worked out great. And also in addition to being light, they're very inexpensive. And so if our thought was if somebody's looking to farm in uh, unorthodox spaces and in or- unorthodox ways, this was an example of how you could farm just about anywhere and with anything you have.
0: That's so great. Have you, are you aware of anyone else using the same technique?
1: You know, we found one place in Indiana. That's kind of where we got the idea, but it didn't seem that they were doing it in mass like we were. It was like maybe a couple of kiddie pools. And I don't know if anybody has modeled it since. I kind of recall getting an email maybe five years into our uh, project of somebody saying that they were trying something like this on their property. And so that was pretty exciting to hear that people were modeling.
0: Yeah, it seems like a really great solution using kind of materials on hand. and. A lot of farming stuff, particularly vertical farming, can be kind of over-engineered sometimes. So I personally really love that approach. So what's it like uh, going up to the farm and, you know, entering the space? And what kind of experience is that to see it?
1: It's pretty amazing. Well, so you should know like where we're located. We're in the middle of Midtown Manhattan. We're right next to the Port Authority bus terminal. Uh, the Times Building, Hudson Yards, we can see from uh, the roof space. So we're surrounded by this sort of uh, forest of still built buildings and we hear the roar of the buses going by and there's just a lot of activity. And when you get up onto this, we're kind of on the, the top of the fourth floor of this building, when you get up there, you can still hear the hum of all that, obviously you can see all of that, But there's just this really beautiful experience of being in the midst of the growing plants, uh, the the fruit trees that we have up there now. We just got bees this year. So we have the bees swirling around us. And um, the pigeons, who have not always been our friend for the farm, are even sort of uh, lovelier on top of this roof uh, and in this space. So it's, I don't know, it's just a, it's a nice a fresh breath of air, right? In the middle of a crazy city.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that neighborhood, I know certainly through COVID, it's changed a little bit as well, right? Tell yeah. us a bit about the dynamics of that neighborhood over the past few years and then and then now.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, again, being in the middle of Manhattan, we were used to having a lot of tourists. We have a lot of hotels. Um, it's also quite residential. A lot of people don't know that about Hell's Kitchen, but if you get just off of the main stretches, there's a lot of, Um, tenement, old tenement buildings, and now new high-rises that hold, um, you know, individual residents, families, just a whole gamut of folks who live in, it's a very diverse community. And um, so it's a, it's an interesting mix, Hell's Kitchen, of just like commuters, generally speaking, in before COVID coming in and out of the Port Authority. So it's fast-paced, but, but, but also home to a lot of people. So um, so it, that was that's always been really an appeal to me to be in that space. During COVID, um, it definitely changed. Uh, not as many commuters, obviously. The rest, a lot of restaurants closed, a lot of businesses. Um, we also became the home of a high population of um, homeless residents because the the hotels were turned into shelters to to move people out of the crowded city shelters. And um, it, that's certainly been a challenge, but it's also been an opportunity, in my opinion, to to be neighbors, to be home to people who need it the most, the most vulnerable in our community. And we've tried as an organization to, to really reach out and to support those that were coming in. During COVID, we provided a lot of meals. Um, we have a commercial space um, a commercial kitchen space in our building so we've used those resources we use some of the farm to make some of those meals and get it to folks who were struggling so so we're you know it's coming back something to to what it looked like before but it's going to be a long road just like for a lot of people in the city i think
0: yeah it makes sense it's great that you guys are doing something in that community as well and uh, i think it's really inspiring you know um, and I think you, you use a bunch of volunteers who work in the space. Can you tell me a little bit about that program and who those people are?
1: Yeah, as it seems right now, actually 10 years into this, we've never had a full-time paid staff member to run the farm. It really is run by folks in the community. And we've been so grateful for the fact that people have wanted to give not just, well, i'll say this we're grateful for every volunteer and before covid we probably had between a thousand and fifteen hundred folks that would come and visit the farm in a year's time most of them would get their hands dirty and get in the beds and harvest or plant food for us Um, many would just come and just sort of uh, walk around and see the space Um, since covid we haven't been able to open up to the public in the same way or have groups so Prior, we would have individual volunteers, we would have school groups, we would have corporate volunteer groups that would come and really allow us to do all the things that we hoped we could do every year. Since then, we've had to rely on our core volunteers. Um, We have an advisory board. Many of those are, most of those are made up of actual uh, farm volunteers. So they are getting their hands dirty every week. Um, And they are folks that live in the neighborhood. Uh, for the most part, they're invested in the mission of giving back to the community. And um, uh, several of them are retired, which is uh, great in terms of their flexibility of time, um, but, and their commitment to what we do. We could not do it without volunteers. Literally, we would have to close the farm down if we did not, did not have these amazing volunteers. Right now, we're down to a core of about four or five um, core volunteers. We're hoping to open up more in june and so hopefully you and others can come visit us then
0: yeah and i'm, I'm curious what makes people decide to volunteer because I, I know like during COVID, a lot of us have you know tried to sort of give back in various different ways but sometimes there's a sort of barrier for people to you know want to actually turn up and do something
1: yeah well, we have a couple of barriers ourselves, even before COVID, because we're uh, in an old building, we don't have an elevator, so unfortunately we're not accessible to everybody that would wanna be up there. Um, we have started to do some farming, not quite to the degree that you're doing here, but um, you know, some uh, undergrow light planting on our main level, so that people that can't get up to the top level can see what's going on and participate in that. Um, but we've always had to struggle a little bit with the barriers that were already there. But to be honest with you, folks are always interested. They hear about this crazy thing that's happening, um, just down the road from them. And they're like, how can I be a part of it? And like I said, normally we're open to whatever, just come up there and check it out and get your hands dirty. And that's how we've, uh, gained a base of regular volunteers, is people just interested. A lot of them didn't even know much about farming before, but they've learned a lot over the years. And so that's been really great. But now we we invite people to, um, you know, support what we're doing financially, obviously, because then we're able to hire a few more people to help us out as needed. Um, People can volunteer in our food pantry program right now, which is grab and go. So we used to be able to let people come in and sort of shop for their food. Right now, it's like, grab a bag that we put together for you. We're hoping that changes soon as the vaccines and uh, get more widespread and people are safer. So,
0: Yeah, and that food pantry situation in New York City, give us your take on where are we now, what happened during COVID, and where should we kind of go next with it? Because it's obviously a huge issue of food security in the city.
1: Absolutely. So I'll, I'll tell you our story is that um, our food pantry has increased by 175% um, since the start of COVID. So there's definitely a need. What's also changed is the, uh, the the people that are coming to the food pantry. So there've always been, especially in our neighborhood, folks who were coming that were working folks, wor- working poor, unfortunately. People who have, have have their jobs, but they just don't have enough to put enough food on their table to ensure that they've got fresh, uh, delicious food. Um, healthy food for their family. That's always been a little bit of the case, but it's definitely more the case. Then we had so many people losing their jobs, people losing their entire businesses that were showing up. We heard a story of a woman who owned her own restaurant two weeks um, into the pandemic. She was at our door uh, getting bags of groceries. So grateful. We were honored to be a part of Supporting her and and a lot of our volunteers have been folks who have been in situations where they were clients of the food pantry, and then they wanted to give back. And um, I think that's a beautiful story too of just like uh, people in your own community supporting. We you know we're we're any of us can be in that boat at any moment, and we that's probably what COVID has shown us most directly is that we're any of us. Could be in a situation where we need support and so if all of us are giving back um, if we're all trying to see what we can do support there is enough for everybody so we just have to do our part
0: yeah and, and tell us a bit more about the situation with the non-perishable items versus fresh food in food pantries
1: yeah you know the good news is i think new york has done a good job over the last at least the 10 years that we've been a part of the farming community in the city to say um Fresh, healthy food needs to be more accessible to people um, that with lower incomes, with lower and middle incomes. Because uh, I know, you know, people talk about food deserts, and it's not always about the fact that there's not food in their neighborhoods, but it's not healthy food always. It's inexpensive, unhealthy food sometimes, and that's if. But but if that's all you can get with what you have in your pocket. You gotta get that, right? You gotta go to a fast food restaurant if that's all you can afford. With what you have in your pocket, that's what you gotta do. But um, I think New York has done a better job by expanding uh, where SNAP benefits can be used. Um, We've been fighting all along to ensure that SNAP benefits remain for those that need it. Certainly during COVID, that's been a fight to continue to make sure that people don't lose those benefits as things begin to open up and as the economy begins to open up a little bit more, we've done a, you know, we've been very vocal in the fact that we need to continue to make sure that people can uh, get those benefits. Um, I love that farmer's markets can now take SNAP and they've been doing that for a few years, which is great. Um, I think that's what we gotta do. We've gotta find ways that more accessible, you know, more healthy food is accessible to everybody. Sometimes that's education too, because um, if you've grown up in food deserts where only uh, unhealthy, cheap food is available to you, that's what you think is food, right? But whenever we talk about where food comes from and how, uh, talk about healthy food and nutrition in schools and in um, you know, nonprofit organizations where kids are, I think you have to start with the younger generation for sure because that's the way we're gonna make a change. And the way we think about food and access to healthy food, I think, is a key, key part of that.
0: Yeah, I know from personal experience, getting kids on the farm to come and taste things is such an eye opening moment for them
1: sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. We we prior to COVID, unfortunately, for the last two summers, we haven't been able to provide the, this program, but we provide a, a high school youth farm intern program. Uh, where we have between 10 and 12 uh, high schoolers that join us for six weeks in the summer. They get on the farm, and they get in the food pantry, so they learn the techniques. They learn about food insecurity in our community. And then they also go to other organizations. We'll have to have them come here sometime um, that are doing food justice work and figuring out creative ways. Because the truth is some of it's just about creativity, right? Like it's about imagining a way that people can get access to fresh, healthy food, uh, local food, and once 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 a kid's imagination or an adult's imagination is open up to the ways that that can happen, then you just think this is this is accessible. There are ways to do this, and one of the opportunities that our kids have had. We also run a, a community supported agriculture program, a CSA. Yeah. We do not provide the food from the roof to the CSA, but we partner with a local farmer in New Jersey um, who grows the food and brings it in and people buy those shares. And we also uh, put those shares back into our food pantry uh, so people can sponsor a share and it goes into the food pantry. But our uh, the interns in our program a couple of years prior to COVID, we would take them out to the farm in New Jersey and they would harvest the food for that CSA day. And it was amazing that literally, I would say half of these kids would say things like, I had no idea that this is where food came from. Like they literally had no idea. And so when you realize that it's, you realize, oh wow, education, agriculture education, food education is key. In order for us to sustain a world where people get healthy food, not just, you know, something in their bellies, but healthy food.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. I'm curious about your background and growing up yourself, what your view of food was growing up and how that's kind of changed through your experiences through these projects.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I grew up in the South and um, so the South is, you know, obviously a farming space in a lot of ways. I grew up in Mississippi, a lot of farmland. My immediate context was not a lot of farming for the most part or gardening for the most part, but it was around me. And um, I do remember growing up and my, you know, both of my grandmothers would have uh, they would they would go to gardens and they would pick the peas and we would shell the peas. That was sort of an activity that we did. Um, you know, we had we were growing tomatoes in our yards for the most part, um, peppers sometimes, some um, herbs, uh, and we would use those. So, so I knew about where food came from pretty early. But we were also not we didn't have a lot of money and we. Uh, so we also found ourselves in places where it was cheap uh, quick access food, right So I grew up not always appreciating the fact that I, I could farm food and that would be healthier for me um, but I saw it around me and so as I grew as I grew up and sort of became more aware of um nutritional benefits then I I went back to some of those things in my head I was like oh that's what was happening we I didn't know that that was about health and nutrition now I get it right and that's about sustainability now I get it
0: yeah yeah and I'm curious as well how you see it within the overall picture of what you do as an organization because I know the farm project is just one piece
1: yeah, I mean, the farm project is kind of the, the conduit for us to do these things, to talk about these things. Our tagline is, you know, the Hell's Kitchen Farm Project growing more than just food um, because it is the food is important. But the reality is we only harvest probably about 400 pounds of vegetables and produce a year. Well, that's not that's probably not even enough, to be honest with you. To, to provide healthy food for one Saturday of folks coming to our food pantry, it, to be, you know, for all the folks that come. But, um, but it, it, it does something, it, it does get some food. But what we're doing beyond that is education, is advocacy, is awareness of, um, of where food comes from, how you could be a part of growing food, about sustainability, you know, we talk about the fact that we're growing vegetables on top of a roof that's just adjacent to a, the largest bus terminal in the world. Now, we don't know that there's a huge impact on the air quality, but it can't be hurting the air quality, right? By growing food right next to the uh, this, bus terminal so we talk about all of these things because it's just part of what we do now we have bees and you know that gives us a whole different level to talk about uh food and you know the uh, ecosystem all of that kind of stuff so it's exciting and I think you know prior to us being where we are in our neighborhood there were a lot of kids who had no had no access to even the conversations, not just the food, but the conversations around this, so.
0: Yeah, it's so inspiring. And I'm curious, what do you consider like the most fun part of your job right now?
1: Gosh. Well, the bees have been really excited That's kind yeah. of our new excitement, is learning about bees. Because none of us actually, we have one person on our team who's had a little bit of uh, bee keep, beekeeping training, but mo- for most of us, it's pretty brand new. So I'm loving learning about that. But to be honest with you, I have learned in the last 10 years plus, I've learned everything. I, for the most part, I know about farming and I feel like I can hold my own. I'm not the expert, (laughs) but I can hold my own and I go to farmers markets and I know what different things are. You know, I look at plants and I know for the most part what they are. I know how to seed them. You know, I'll say, "Oh, you can't. You got to. You got to separate those seeds a little bit more." I know how deep the seeds can go. I, I know the germination uh, stages of a lot of things, and I love that. And my, I have two young children, 12 and 10, and um, and and they've gotten to be up on the roof and learn some of this stuff too. And so, I don't know. I just think my life would be very my New York City life would be very different without this farm for sure um, my My family's life would be different, and I think the life of a lot of our residents in our community would be different without our farm.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm lucky enough to come down here whenever I want. you know I get free herbs, of course, but it's like <laughs> yeah. a great sort of place to come when New York seems a little bit too gray and concretey, you know. Yeah. And so do you have any advice for someone who might want to start a project like this, either in New York City or another place?
1: Well, I'll say I think what our farm has always been we've held up as like, hey, anybody can farm. Like you, we started with one expert in our, on our team. The rest of us had other expertise or no expertise at all um and we just played around with this i i think you asked me before like what's my favorite part of the farm and there are a lot of like tangible favorite things but what i think i like most about the farm is that it's been experimental from day one we just tried things and some things worked and some things didn't and we never got too worked up about when things didn't work we just tried something different the next time and that's its own life lesson i guess and um I love I love that so I would say my advice would be try it like put you know you have no idea at all get a pot get some soil put a seed in it and stick it in your window and water it and see what happens and from and and then read about it and learn from other things um there's also ways to grow without soil you know and you can you can try those too and um I say just try it you've got you've got light coming in you've got a uh you know a fire escape something just try it and and again you don't even have to purchase very much you just you just take what you have i think that's the thing with the kiddie pools is obviously we had to purchase the kiddie pools but 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 you know you don't have to even purchase most of the stuff to to grow food and um so just give it a try and and see what you like and see what gives you kind of excitement around it taste it if you don't like that Grow, grow something different. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so I just think it's uh, that farming is experimental and it's can be whatever you want it to be at any given time. So.
0: Yeah. And what do you think New York should be doing to encourage more projects like these in the city?
1: Well, I yeah, I think there obviously I think there needs to be more incentives for using underutilized rooftop spaces. So um, we didn't I mean, we got a grant to do it, but Prior to having this up there, we you know this building was a hundred years old, and for a hundred years it had four thousand square feet on the roof that was never used for anything really, and I think there's so much of that if you if you look around the city, you're just constantly seeing spaces that can't be used. Um, I you know I think incentives for landowners, building owners who uh, if they're vacant lots that aren't being used, even for a short time, it doesn't have to be a long-term commitment to be a farm, but just open it up and let a community you know, grow food there and or um, you know, pro- provide some kind of support for food security in your community. And so I definitely think that there should be more education, more incentives for, for that to happen in our community. And I think there's beginning to be more of that. Um, Same for indoor space. I mean, you know, you guys are an example of doing it indoor. It doesn't have to be on the rooftop. It doesn't have to be outside. But, um, you know, incentives for people to be using their space to grow food and to educate people and give access to people uh, for, for healthy food.
0: Absolutely. And so if someone's inspired by what you're doing and they want to get involved in the Hell's Kitchen Farm Project, what's the best way to make contact and find out more yes. about what you're doing?
1: Yeah, right now, go to our website, um, hkfp.org. The Hell's Kitchen Farm Pod- Project is the name. And um, you can see on there ways that we are asking currently for support. Um, financially is always a big thing because we ask people to support Um, sponsor a bed so that we can ensure growth for that entire bed for an entire season it helps with educational resources when we're working with our youth and our community and even though we may not be able to do a full-fledged youth farm intern program this year we will be doing educational programs one-off educational programs for those that are in a local Um, day camp program so they're going to be watering and they're going to be up there learning about it Uh, so supporting it financially that way and then keep checking back follow us on instagram hk farm project i think uh, is the name of it uh go to our website you'll see it there and uh but follow us because we are going to be opening up more and we when we do we want people to join us up on the roof we are looking for volunteers right now but we're looking for folks who are uh willing to commit to some regularity uh, rather than just coming for a one-off right now we're looking for folks who maybe can come every week or twice a month or something that can help us during our really busy times so again if you go to our our website you'll see links to connect to uh, those volunteer opportunities and stay connected to with us we're also uh, we are just now starting the CSA program for the year so if people are interested in getting a weekly or bi-weekly um, uh, delivery of fresh food you can sign up for our csa
0: great and i'm proud to say that we're going to be supporting hell's kitchen farm project with a donation uh and we'll show some images and follow along with that project so that's really cool we'll get to sponsor our own little kiddie pool yeah very thanks, cool Rob. yeah um and so yeah thanks so much tiffany uh for joining me today this is tiffany Hankel. she's from the hell's kitchen farm project uh, and be sure to uh, subscribe to the Farm One podcast. There'll be more episodes that are introducing to you to other things going on in the city, things that help you be more thoughtful about food. If you've got ideas for things, we'd love to hear from you uh, at info at farm.one. You can also follow us on Instagram, uh, which is farm.one. Uh, but yeah, we'd we'll be excited to see you next time. So thank you so much, Tiffany. It's been great. All right. We'll see you later.